Good morning. We're continuing our series, uh, Families Under Pressure. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, uh, we've been looking at several different families in the book of Genesis. Today, we're going to look at Genesis 45. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there. We're going to continue our study of that. Robert Louis Stevenson told about two elderly sisters who lived together but had a falling out. They lived together, but things were so bitter between them, they just couldn't get along that they decided to put a chalk line down the center of every room they shared. Kitchen, living room, even the hallways had a chalk line, and they were not to cross it. Things were so bad between them, they didn't even talk, even though they lived in the same house. And they remained that way for the remainder of their lives. They were separated by a chalk line. Stevenson said there are lots of invisible chalk lines in homes today. We don't see them, but they're there. This is your side. This is my side. Let's each stay out of each other's way. And that tension becomes constant pressure in families, in homes, in relationships. And some of the offenses are minor. They're so minor that you don't even know how it started. But some of the offenses, some of the offenses are major. They're big. The wounds are deep. And the scars are hideous. Maybe your parents divorce and left you with some pain you still feel today. Maybe your spouse had an affair and left you for someone else. Maybe your sibling cheated you out of a a significant amount of money that's yours, but they got it. Maybe your grandparents treated you differently because you were not the scholar, you were not the athlete. Maybe your children are grown and they rarely come to visit. Maybe you have a step-parent who has come between you and your child. Or maybe your stepchild has become between you and your, your spouse. Maybe you had a parent who drank heavily. And the pressure and the problems at home were enormous. Maybe some of you here today have a husband who's verbally or even physically abusive. I looked up the statistic. About 90% of children who are victims of sexual abuse know their abuser. If any of that includes you, you may have a chalk line in your world, and you've drawn it out of self-preservation, maybe out of pain, maybe not knowing what to do. The people that we crave the most, our family, are also the ones who can hurt us the deepest. When that happens, we just draw that line that's not to be crossed. We guard our emotions Maybe even think about ways to retaliate. But as Christians, we're supposed to be different, not like the world, not lashed back. As Christians, we're supposed to forgive, to release the past. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. That is hard to do. We're going to talk about forgiveness today. And be praying as we talk, as we think, as we read these scriptures, because this may be just what you need to hear. This may be God's word to you. Or if not, there may be someone else in this room 
who really needs to hear about forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not easy to do. It's human nature, almost instinctive, to draw the chalk line. Say, you're out. Don't cross the line. And sometimes we even enjoy holding a grudge. We enjoy being angry at people, complaining about being wrong, maybe even seeking some creative ways to get even. A little boy was misbehaving, so the dad punished him, made him go to his room for 30 minutes. It was time to dinner, so family all gathered in, and the boy was called to join the family. The dad called on the little boy to say the prayer. The boy was still pouting, and he said, Lord, I thank you that you've prepared this table before me in the presence of my enemy. Human nature starts young. We want to lash back, find a way to get even. We see this in everyday life. We feel it ourselves. The Bible talks about this. We're warned in Hebrews 12, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain grace of God so that the root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That root of bitterness. We know exactly what the writer is talking about there because it causes all kinds of trouble. It can affect our health negatively. It alters our personality. It chokes out our relationship with God. It affects us in so many ways. Joseph is an example in the Bible, I think is an incredible example in the Bible about someone who is able to get beyond, to release the past. And what I want to do today is kind of look at his story, even though his brothers treated him terribly. Look how he endured that and how he related. So in this series of lessons about pressures, let's look at this one and see how Joseph responded. So we'll look at the story, and if you've never been offended by anybody in your family, then you may just look at the story and appreciate Joseph in a good way. But if you have been offended by somebody in your family, if there's some pain there, I want you to listen carefully because I think we can all learn about how to deal with some of these offenses, even if it happened years and years ago. When Joseph was a teenager, he was horribly mistreated by his half-brothers. And his father, in a way, started it, you might say. He did that terrible, terrible thing of treating one child better than another. And of all people, Jacob should have known better. Remember Jacob and Esau? He should have known. His mother treated him better. His father treated Esau better. So Jacob grew up in that kind of environment, and yet he's doing the same thing. Joseph was given unique favor, special treatment. You remember that special coat, that tunic? We call it the coat of many colors. Really and truly, what it meant in that culture was a symbol of royalty. Jacob might as well have given him a crown, because that's what he was saying by giving him that coat to wear. And Joseph didn't help matters any. Instead of putting that coat away, he wore it. He flaunted it. The Bible says they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And then he had the dreams, you remember, about his brothers bowing down to him. Instead of keeping those dreams to himself or maybe telling his mom and dad, he just talked openly about it to his brothers. The Bible says they hated him even more. His brothers resented him so much that tension, that pressure became too much. The day came when they decided to take his life. They ripped off his coat. You remember the story, threw him in the pit. The fall didn't kill him. They could leave him there and he would die. It'd be an easy way to kill him. And then they sat down and ate and ignored their brother's pleas for help. Can you imagine that? Sitting down for a picnic while your brother is calling out for help 
and you just ignore it all, heartless. Then they saw the caravan coming toward him. Judah suggested they could sell him and wouldn't have to kill him. Been an easy way to get rid of him, never see him again. So they sold their brother to those slave traders for 20 shekels of silver. And you know the story, God was working in those details. Now, Jacob is 17 at the time. He doesn't know how the story is going to turn out. He doesn't know that God's going to work all these details out for good. But he went, think about it, at age 17, from being the son of a wealthy man to being a slave, sold into the industry, not knowing where he would end up. We can only imagine how, how terrified how disillusioned and even how angry Joseph might have been. For the next 20 years, while everybody else his age is going on with their life, you might even say enjoying the prime of life, having a good job and, and making money and, and maybe getting married and having a family, enjoying all the things that come with that. During those years, Joseph is in shackles. Joseph is an iron collar, working like a dog, treated like an animal. And year after year after year, how could he not resent what his brothers did to him? Yet during all this time, Joseph was faithful to God. And all the verses that talk about this, you never read about Joseph wavering in his faith. And God blessed him. What you do read about is God blessed him and God was with him. Even though there were ups and downs, God orchestrated all the details so that Joseph became second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. You remember, God used Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And because he did, Pharaoh put him in second in charge. Joseph, during that time of plenty, administered all of the grain. And then when the famine hit, Egypt was prepared. Joseph was in charge. So now Joseph is governor the Bible calls him a governor over the most influential country in the world. So when the famine comes, everybody is coming to him. Joseph has power. Joseph has position. Joseph has wealth. Joseph now has his own beautiful family. So when people were coming from all over, not just Egypt, from beyond, because the famine was that big, we can only imagine his astonishment when he looks out and he sees somebody he recognizes. His brothers have come to Egypt to buy grain. Now, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian. He's talking Egyptian. They're having to use an interpreter. Genesis 42, verse 6 is on the screen. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And then verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams they had dreamed of them. A little deja vu moment there. Now he had the power. Now he was on the throne. They were bowing to him. What an opportunity. These were the ones who hated him. These were the brothers who betrayed him. These are the ones who threw him in a pit. These are the ones who sat down and ate and ignored his pleas for help. They sold him in slavery, not knowing what would happen to him. It had to be a moment of truth for Joseph. It was too good to be true. He could hate them. He could betray them. He could throw them into a pit. He could throw them in prison. He could put them into slavery. He could take their lives. In a way, you would say he had a right to do all those things. He could get even. 
but he didn't. Joseph's immediate response, if you remember, was he spoke harshly to them and accused them of spying. Then he put them in jail for three days. When they're brought before Joseph again, even though it was through an interpreter, he could understand everything they were saying, even when they admitted their guilt, their crime against him. It was too much for Joseph. 20 years had passed, but that pain was right there. Joseph wept. He had to leave the room. The Bible says then he tested them because he wanted to know. They admitted their wrongdoing, but he wanted to know had they changed. Were they honest men? And you might say he had a right to know. If there's any remorse, any regret, he wanted to know, was there any animosity toward his brother Benjamin? What's the status now? What's the situation now? So he kept seeming in jail, let the nine brothers go home with grain, basically saying, don't come back unless you bring Benjamin with you. Eventually, they returned for more grain. They bring Benjamin with them. At the sight of his younger brother, again, that pain, that emotion, it just bubbles up. It's more than Joseph can stand. He had to retreat to his chamber and weep. As you read through these chapters, you see that over and over again. Joseph's a grown man. He's 37. He's the governor of Egypt. He's in control. He's large. He's doing well. But that pain that happened years and years and years ago, it just pushes his button. He becomes overwhelmed. It was more than he could take. Look at our text in Genesis 45. It's going to be on the screen. You might want to read it out of your own Bible. Verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years of which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Jacob forgave his brothers was reconciled to his family, and he released the past. I put this quote on the screen by Sir Francis Bacon. Certainly in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy. But in passing it over, he is superior, for it, it is a prince's part to pardon. And Joseph was a prince. He forgave his brothers we belong to a king. And we too are called to forgive, to release the past. Colossians 3.13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But again, that is not easy to do. So with the story of Joseph as a background, I want to share a couple of observations from his life 
about how do we do this? What are some, some practical steps to help us release the past? So if you're filling the blank, the first one is this. Number one, you choose to forgive. Just notice that forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, you likely never will. Now, there's several reasons why we should choose to forgive. The first one is God commands it. God says so. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If, if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So very bluntly, forgiveness is not an option for a Christian. If you claim to be a child of God, God commands you to forgive. In fact, the Bible says if you don't forgive others their wrongdoings toward you, God will not forgive your wrongdoings toward him. Matthew 6, 12, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching us how to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But there's another reason. One, he commands it, but another reason, it's, it's for our advantage. It's really best for us. Unforgiveness is like acid. It, it eats away at, at your character, at your heart, at your personality, at your relationships. It does so much damage. It clouds your thinking. And you don't even realize how it's just taken over you. It greatly thwarts your growth as a child of God. When that has more influence over you than Jesus himself. But forgiveness gets rid of all of that. Forgiveness sets us free. It's what makes reconciliation possible. And it pleases God. He commands it, but it also pleases him. It's for our benefit. It's a good thing. Have you heard of the new documentary that's about to come out, Emmanuel? It's based on the shootings in Charleston four years ago. Do you remember when Dylan Roof went in and shot all those people during Bible study? And what we remember about that one is how quick those people of faith forgave. And that's the whole storyline of the documentary. The press release I read said this, the documentary explains how faith Hope and forgiveness healed the community after the tragic event. We've all seen it. Forgiveness is the most beautiful thing to witness. It enhances our opinion of people when you know that about them. And just the opposite is true. When you know somebody is not forgiving. I've said it. You've said it. You know what I mean when you say, I don't want to get on her bad side. Why? Because she keeps a grudge. She doesn't forgive. They don't have a forgiving spirit. Now, Joseph was faithful to the Lord, but I also want you to observe that he was also smart. He knew that if he just forgave, he might see his father again. Maybe his brothers would come live with him. Maybe his children would get to see their grandfather. Maybe all the extended family could be together the way they should be again. Now, if you make a list of pros and cons, there there are a lot of pros, a lot of good reasons to forgive. But there's one huge con that you also need to know about. But it's also for your advantage. And that is you have to swallow your pride. To forgive, you have to swallow your pride. But as hard as that con is, that too is best for us. Over and over again, the Bible addresses this. One quote is from James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
So we are to be willing. We choose to forgive because God commands it and it's best for us. Well, number two, another lesson to learn from Joseph, to hold the guilty accountable. You might put in parentheses to place the blame where it belongs. Maybe the blame belongs to you. Maybe you are part of the problem, or at least partly to blame. Maybe you're the one that needs to apologize for some things you've done wrong. In fact, the Bible talks about this. Jesus said so, Matthew 5, 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. But sometimes people blame themselves for wrongdoings that they did not commit. They're not the one that's guilty. They seek Uh, They seek, uh, they feel responsible for things they did not do. It's the woman in an abusive situation saying, if I were a better wife, this would not have happened. No, there is never an excuse for abuse. Or if I were a more cooperative child, my parents would not have divorced. No, no. You being a child has nothing to do with your parents' relationship. They're responsible for that. Or maybe if I'd been more cautious, maybe if I'd resisted more, maybe if, maybe if, maybe if. No, don't go that way. There are quite a few details about Joseph's life when you read through these chapters in Genesis. But you don't read anything about Joseph saying, well, maybe I shouldn't have worn that coat around so much. Or maybe I shouldn't have told my brothers about the dreams. Now, granted, he made mistakes, and I would say he shouldn't have done those things. But you and I make mistakes, too. We're just human. Everybody makes mistakes. That doesn't warrant being hated. That doesn't justify being sold. That doesn't justify throwing you into a pit and then laughing at you, having dinner, eating a meal while you're asking for help. Joseph acknowledged his brother's wrongdoing. You sold me into slavery. He stated the fact. Sometimes holding the guilty person accountable means you confront the person. Matthew 18, 15, Jesus talks about this angle also. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother If someone deeply hurts you years ago and you go to them, that can be a terrifying experience. And you can make yourself vulnerable to that same pain. It just comes back and it may not work. It might make the situation worse. Sometimes it's easier to do nothing and pretend like everything's going to be okay But when you confront the offender, it allows you to release your anger and your resentment. Now, sometimes you shouldn't do that. As Jesus said, sometimes that's like uh, casting your pearls before swine. So I think we need to be in prayer about what is the best choice. But remember that forgiveness can be done by one person. But reconciliation takes two Sometimes professional counselors will advise a person who's dealing with this to just write out their feelings, especially if if they can't get to that person, just write out their feelings, the wrongdoing, what happened, how you feel about it, and then destroy the letter. It may be the person that did this to you 
has died. But it still can be good for you to do something with your feelings, to help you, writing that letter can, can help you to do something with that, to move toward that same goal of just releasing the past. So Joseph teaches us, shows us to hold the guilty accountable, place the blame where it belongs. Here's another lesson from Joseph. Release the right to retaliate. Release the right to retaliate. Joseph's brothers committed a terrible crime. Joseph had a right to make them pay. And now he had the power. Now he had the position. He could have done so easily. And and no doubt some would have justified him with that. But he released them from all that baggage. But understand this. Forgiveness is not saying what you did was okay. Forgiveness is not saying that what you did was partly my fault or what you did was understandable under the circumstances. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't hurt me and it's no big deal. That is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing the right to retaliate. It's repudiating that right to revenge. I was thinking about this, all the uh, plays, books, novels, movies, like Hamlet, The Count of Monte Cristo, Braveheart, True Grit, Shawshank Redemption, even Princess Bride. They all have revenge as the plot, don't they? And we see what happens when that person becomes consumed with it. It ruins their lives. It's always a challenge. Those stories show us how not to do it. We need to learn from that. Reminded me of an awkwardly worded tombstone. To my husband, John, may he rest in peace till we meet again. (laughs) There are some people who are going to get even if it takes their last breath. I helped with a funeral once of a young man in his 20s who died rather unexpectedly. The parents were divorced. Each had remarried, but it was bitter between the two. Basically, two funerals for the same boy who died, young man who died. One for the mom, one for the dad. That chalk line was still there. Is that what you want? One of the worst things I ever experienced, even in grieving for your dead son, they would not let go. Release the offender for the past. Joseph accepted 20 plus years of suffering, being separated from his family, and his brothers went free. Get that. His brothers went free. And here's something to remember. Releasing the right to retaliate is not a one-time decision. It's every day. It's a long, painful, sometimes a daily process. Whoever came up with the phrase forgive and forget, we need to talk. Because there's really no such thing for us as humans. God can forget. But we can't do that. And please don't say that to anybody. Because if you say that, all that tells them is that you don't know what it's like to hurt deeply. Or you wouldn't say that phrase. 
Forgiveness is a long, painful, sometimes daily process. Again, it's that woman who learns the awful truth that her husband has been cheating on her. She's devastated. She doesn't know what to do. They get Christian counseling. He's repented. He, he knows it's wrong. He ends the relationship. They work it out with Christian counseling. They stay together. They move forward in their marriage. Six months later, they're doing so well. They're not the same people, but they're good. And their marriage is strong. And then one day, she's going through some stuff, cleaning up, and she comes across a picture of her and her husband during that time when he's having the affair. And in that picture, his arms around her, and he's smiling, and she just thinks in an instant, you fake, you phony. I was so naive to trust you. And she has to forgive him all over again. That's forgiveness. Sometimes it's a long process. Do you remember when Jesus told Peter about forgiving? How many times, Lord? Seven times? Not seven, but 70 times seven? Was that because it's that much math that the person does that offense that many times? Maybe. Or might Jesus have been referring to this very thing? Sometimes it's just that ongoing daily reminder that you have to forgive again, forgive again, and forgive even for the one offense. 70 times seven. Joseph threatened his brothers. He tested his brothers. He waited several days while they were in prison. He wept over the whole situation. He wasn't sure what to do. So don't read through this story and think, when you've got a painful situation that you're going to automatically know what to do. It was a process even for Joseph. Jen Frank wrote in her book, A Door of Hope, this quote. I'll put it on the screen. The challenge is not to forgive and forget. The real honor comes in one's ability to, for, ability to forgive and yet remember. So we release the right to retaliate even though it's a hard daily process. Number four. To forgive means we focus on God's providence. This is where faith comes in. This is what makes us different from the world. This is where your faith is tested. This is where it comes to light what you really believe. Joseph was very perceptive about what happened to him. To be sold into slavery, taken far from home for years and years seemed horrible. But now he was able to look and realize, understand, see God's providence at work. He'd become governor over Egypt. To save people, not just his family, people from all over Egypt and the surrounding countries. Think about it. Joseph was better off in Egypt than he was in Canaan. He'd become governor. He'd become wealthy. He had even more than he would ever have living with his family. But he said in Genesis 50, 20, you remember this line, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Folks, you can spend the rest of your life wallowing in self-pity about what happened to you, rehashing how bad it was, how much you suffered for it, telling everyone who will listen about your suffering, garnering their support. You can post it on Facebook in the name of a rant and wait for the likes and the comments and you will get them. It happens all the time. Or... With eyes of faith, 
You can look for ways God will work in your life and bring about good. Jen Frank, the quote I shared earlier, went through years of sexual abuse by her stepfather. And she suffered some emotional trauma because of that horrible experience. But years later, she confronted her stepfather, released the past. She became a family counselor. She wrote a book. She appeared on TV programs. And now her life is committed to helping people. God used her painful past to help so many others. Folks, when you drive a car and you look in the rearview mirror for too long, you're going to crash. You glance in the mirror. Even if you look at the dashboard too long, you're going to wreck. But if you focus your eyes on the road ahead with eyes of faith, and you see the positive that God is going to bring about because of what you've been through, that takes faith. Joseph had that faith. And we're called to have the same faith. Number five, another lesson I learned, restore trust as it was merited. When you read the story of Joseph, he was cautious, even slow to respond. Do you notice that? He did not react by saying, I forgive you. Bring Benjamin. Bring my dad. It's going to be good. He didn't do that because he didn't know if he could trust them. He didn't know if they were still corrupt. Were they still dishonest? He didn't know, was Benjamin still alive? Had they done the same thing to him? So he put him through a series of tests. I think that was wise. It wasn't until Judah spoke up and said, put me in prison, let Benjamin go, that Joseph knew they've changed. Learn from Joseph. Don't be naive about forgiveness and immediately give responsibility because there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. For example, if you discover your fiance is having an affair one month before the wedding, and then ask for forgiveness, you should forgive him. But I could not encourage you to marry him, at least not any time soon. You need a lot of help with that relationship. Trust must be reestablished. Or if you're a parent with a teenager and you leave town and they have a drinking party, you should forgive them. But I wouldn't leave them at home alone and chaperoned again. Jan Frank said she forgave her stepfather for molesting her as a child, but there was no evidence of repentance. So she never let her daughter stay overnight at his house. And she told her brother about what happened because he had young children too. She forgave, but she was cautious about extending trusts. I think that's wise. Not trusting someone does not mean you have not forgiven them. Or that you're unspiritual. Let me say that again. Not trusting someone does not necessarily mean that you've not forgiven them or that you're unspiritual. In John 2, 24, it says Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. Be a forgiving person, yes. God commands it. But don't be naive about human nature. You remember Jeremiah 20, uh, 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we choose to forgive, we place blame where it belongs, we release the right to retaliate, we, we focus on God's providence, we restore trusts as it is merited, and then one more, and I'll close with this, you express kindness to the forgive, uh, forgiven. 
You express kindness to the forgiven, to the offender. Maybe that's a better word. Joseph didn't say, I forgive you. Take your grain and get out of here. I never want to see you again. He didn't say that. He gave them grain. He gave them a place to live and promised, I'm going to take care of you. Look at Romans 12, verse 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you want to forgive? That's the question. If you do, you be kind, you be gracious, you be generous. Don't keep them on probation. You forgive as God has forgiven you. A young woman who was victimized by her father wrote this. I put this on the screen. I want you to see her words. The Holy Spirit taught me that just as I felt ashamed, disappointed, embarrassed, confused, hateful, resentful, angry, sad, disgusted about my aggressor's sin, so the Heavenly Father felt about my own sin, that he was willing to die on a cross to forgive me. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Surely I can die to myself and my rights in order to forgive another human being. But this was only accomplished by faith and prayer and daily choosing to love in spite of. Sometimes we have to let go of the past to enjoy the present and even be able to dream about the future. These brothers deserve punishment, but Joseph gave them forgiveness and favor. Does that sound familiar? It should, because Joseph shows us what God does for us. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be banished. Our sin is hideous. And God says, I love you. And God says, come to me and I'm going to take care of you. That's the invitation. That's what he wants to do. If you need God's forgiveness, won't you come as we sing this song? Confess that you are a sinner. If you've not yet been baptized, let your sins be washed away. Or if there's a struggle that just keeps tripping you, let us pray for you. God will forgive you. If you need anything, any encouragement, won't you come? Let's stand and sing.